Welcome back, my friends. This week, I am actually republishing an episode from about a year ago. I was looking and it was published back in June of 2020. I don't often republish episodes, but the content in this episode continues to be unfortunately timely again. And it is my friend's Deanna Mason and Lakita Williams talking about racism, social inequality, and right effort. And it deserves another round. It deserves to be listened to frequently and often. And since it's been almost a year since it was published, I wanted to send this back out to the world in a new and fresh way because we're in this place. We're still here. I know we still have a lot of work to do. It's unfortunate that this continues to be a topic that we have to address, but we do. And at least we have the ability to have freedom of speech and freedom of sharing the content that we feel is important. So I am honored to be a platform to be able to share this with you again. Here's Lakita Williams and Deanna Mason. But when we recognize that these systems are racist and we need to change them, um, that's when the real work can be done. What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. This episode of the Minding Wellness podcast may seem a little off topic, but I can assure you if we are going to talk about minding our wellness and all topics, mind, body, and spirit, this topic must be covered. Because minds are anxious, bodies are dying, and spirits are hurting. Up until recent events, it seemed to be somewhat acceptable to do little to nothing about the underlying systemic social inequalities in our country. But what George Floyd's death brought to light was that What we have been doing is simply not enough. And I take that personally on myself, even in my own life. You know, I've always been somebody who's been inclusive. I am in an interracial marriage. My son is of mixed race. I have always had friends of varying colors, and it has never been something I consider to be a problem in my own life. And what I'm realizing is that it not, me not being a part of the problem does not equate to me being a part of the solution. So this conversation was with two of my dearest friends, Deanna Mason and Lakita Williams. Their insights into their own personal journeys with the social inequalities in this country are impactful and I believe they should be heard by as many as possible for us to get a better understanding of what is actually happening on an everyday, every minute basis here and I'm sure elsewhere as well. 
So I hope that you find a value in this and share as you feel is appropriate with those you know. Here are Deanna and Lakita. <sighs> Lakita Williams and Deanna Mason. I reached out to these amazing friends and souls in the midst of what our country is going through and has been going through, but what's coming to light as what we are going through. And I really just wanted to pass the mic and give them a platform to speak. Not that they need me to give them the platform. They certainly can speak anywhere, but I wanted to be an additional option for their insights to come forward. And they graciously agreed. So thank you both for being here. Thank you for the invitation. I'm happy yeah, to be here. You. And I'm happy to be here with Lakita. Yes. That's, so we that's thank perfect. You. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Right. I love it. I love all the love. So we we all met in a mastermind under Jada Selner. And uh so 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 grateful. Cause how how what would my life be yeah. if I didn't know either mm-hmm. of you? I can't imagine that world and I don't want to. So <laughs> thank you, Jada. So we're I'm gonna say mostly very little because this is not about me. This is about being able to share insights that we don't often hear. We aren't hearing enough, even in the midst of all of this, because it's so noisy. I just want this to be an intimate conversation of truth. And so they have graciously agreed to, to come here and I haven't dictated anything. They're going to say what's on their heart. And that's exactly what I am looking for. Because as I mentioned before we started videotaping, I feel like maybe many of my friends feel like we have not necessarily been a part of the problem. Maybe we feel like we're already inclusive. You know, I'm in an interracial marriage. I'm not part of the problem. So, okay, this is, you know, check. This is not my issue, next issue. But that does not equate to me not now needing to be a part of the solution. Me not being a part of the problem is not me being part of the solution. And so I know now that that's not enough. And so whatever I'm able to do using this platform and then moving forward, learning more about what I can do is what I want to do. So with that being said, let me shut up. And I would love to just get started with sharing each one of these lovely ladies, sharing who they are, what their background is, and then sharing what it is like. And I, I actually, uh, I remember being five years old and looking at my sister who was three years older to me, older than me and saying to her, what is it like being you? I don't even know what kind of a spiritual moment I was having that I didn't know. But I remember, I remember that. And I said, hmm, that's weird. I wonder what it's like being you. Like, I only know what it's like being me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just valuable for us as a community and as a nation and a world to know what is it like being each of you? What are, what do we not understand is happening in your world? So with that, um, Lakita, feel free to get started. Yeah, sure. So Thank you so much for having me, Claudia and Deanna. Of course, I'm thrilled to be here with you. <laughs> um, so I'm Lakita Williams. Um, I'm the founder of Co-Create Work. Uh, Co-Create Work is a business that where, where we partner with small and growing businesses to build their culture with intention. We actually talk about inclusivity in work a lot. Um, and what's, you know, I, I kind of got started on this journey all the way back uh, after my very first corporate role um, and um, uh, working, I became a mother of a preemie. Our, our youngest was actually born premature and just seeing the challenges and imbalance that happens at work um, and how much work can have an impact. And I think 
a lot of times when I talk about systems, so one system we'll talk about is like the medical system, for instance, and I know Claudia, you talk about that a lot um, in your work. Um, and, you know, just the fact that our daughter was born prematurely, right? And that this impacts black women at a significantly higher degree uh, for prematurity and for uh, mortality for black women um, when they're pregnant, right? So when we talk about things like racism, when we talk about systematic injustice, it it goes the whole gamut. So we talk about it from, um, uh, you know, pregnancy, health care for Black women, and then it comes to work for Black women, right? So at that time, managing the situation where our daughter was born prematurely, trying to be in good health, and also managing being a Black woman in a corporate role, right? And what that means. And so when a lot of times when we unpack and talk about, you know, the work that needs to be done around being anti-racist, um, we have to look at all of these systems that interact together. And that's a lot of what our family has been talking about um, lately. Um, so I, I say that to say that got me on the journey to thinking about how work, right, um, and businesses come together as a system um, and have negative impact, right, on employees and what we could do there. So after uh, doing that and starting my first corporate role, I went and became uh, a social worker. So I have a master's degree in social work. And the focus there is really about business and like, how do we bring justice into businesses? I uh, went and worked for a tech company. Uh, I won't name, y'all can probably look it up on LinkedIn. But again, can continue to see um, those those challenges um, and opportunities um, around, frankly, like in all of our workplace, I will just say this bluntly, almost all of our workplaces are racist, right? Because they're built on systems of racism, they're built on systems of injustice. Um, so your performance review process, right, is probably racist, your hiring process is probably racist, and there's work that needs to happen there. And I think also as we like start to talk about and use the word racism more, um, I, I was joking with my husband, I'm like, I haven't heard the word racism this many times in a two week period, then I've heard my whole life because people are very fearful of using that word. But when we recognize that these systems are racist and we need to change them, um, that's when the real work can be done. Uh, and so that's also this work and like idea that we can build better workplaces is what led me to um, start co-create work um, and be a consultancy that's focused on helping to build better, um, better business practices. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll end there. I think I kind of got on a tangent, but that's just a little bit about me. <laughs> it was a good what? tangent. Yes. Yeah. Deanna, feel free to, to introduce yourself. And then, of course, I would love to know, even, even if it's sharing one individual story of what is it like to be a Black woman in America, raising a family, what, what things are you having to tell your children that white women like me are not having to tell our, our kid, you know, what, what is it that we don't understand um, beyond what we're seeing in the media? Like what is happening in your micro world? We, we see a, a macro and we see the, the news, but what is happening in your individual lives um, that is, has been, has been, been normal for you that we don't have any understanding 
beginnings of understandings of that because we aren't having to do those things. So I would, I would, if you're willing to share, if that's something that's on your heart. Sure. Um, just to briefly introduce myself. Um, so yeah, I'm Deanna Mason. I am the founder of a company called Refreshed Moms. And my focus there is to help moms that are feeling called to more than motherhood, um, take purpose and take their passion and dream in their heart and um, monetize it in a way that helps them be financially fulfilled. And um, that's like the basis of my work. But um, when I first started my work, I had a woman, a person of color reach out to me. She was a single mom. And she was having to make a decision about her, the um, school that she put her young children in because the schools in the area were failing schools. And she didn't know how to give them another option. And so she knew that I homeschooled. I don't currently homeschool now, but at the time I homeschooled. And she knew that I had my own business and she knew that I was a business coach. And she was like, is that an option for me? Could I start a business so that I could be home and homeschool my children? Because I don't want to send them to this school. Okay. And that honestly was like my first inkling of awareness of even my level of privilege. (laughs) as a black woman in the African-American community, because I lived in a two person home, two income home and um, always had the, um, when I decided to be home with my kids, the first thing I did was monetize myself. I was like, well, shoot, I can bring out some clients (laughs) and support these small businesses. And I can stay home with my kids while my husband goes to work. It was like, it was my go-to option. And I literally replaced my full-time income by monetizing my marketing skill. Um, it came home. I also had the benefit of having family. I had um, a mother that was able to watch my kids and help me and support me so I could work, you know, a few days a week without the kids. I just had so many options um, that even back then, I probably didn't even feel like they were a lot of options, but I had them. And this woman had zero she had zero. And that lit a fire under me that I need to teach single moms that are in these underserved communities and these high risk communities, entrepreneurship skills so that they are not only looking at the option of sending their children to a school that they're thinking is not going to academically support their child. Now I do also have a heart for that school, but I also understand like even the work that Lakita's doing, that's a long-term thing. That is like, that's a, that's like a marathon and we have to live in a, um, in a system that has historically failed us. We've got to figure out how to survive the system (laughs) to be successful in that system, whatever your metrics of success are while, while improving the system. We have to do all of that at the same exact time. And so, you know, not everybody says, well, I'm going to sacrifice my kids and send them to this school 
while I help the school. That's not, that's not always everybody's desire. Okay. Some people do do that, but that's not always everybody's desire. And so that kind of opened my eyes on the need of just creating options for single moms, um, which led into creating options for um, middle school and high school children, because in the neighborhood I was living in, only 40% of them were graduating high school in the first place. And which means 60% of them were not walking across the stage, which means a, a certain percentage of those 60% were going to end up in the criminal justice system some kind of way. And just the desire of, I, if they just had a life skill that they could monetize, if they just knew how to take what they knew and create income, they wouldn't think that the only option was to get good enough grades to get into college. They wouldn't think that that was their only path. Um, and, you know, it just opened my eyes to the needs of my community um, in order to um, create uh, more options for them. And I just never connected the dots before that what I do and what I took for granted is not somebody else's reality. And I'm like, I, I, I really want to now take what I know and empower other mothers like me to, that, that love their children just as hard as I do to give their children other options in order for their children to realize um, different levels of success. My son told me yesterday, which was just so funny. I don't know why he was researching this, but he was like, mom, do you know that the average income of an entrepreneur is 75,000 annual and the average income of someone, you know, working for someone is 45,000. I said, like, I did not know. <laughs> I did not know that. Um, so just helping the um, African-American community, um, people of color have another financial and economic option has become like a driving force to my work because we are disproportionately paid income wise if you look at income stats and i'm not a i promise you i'm not a scholar i'm not a i'm not an activist yet i'm probably i'm, I'm evolving into an activist but i don't have a background in activism i'm just a mom of black kids that cares about her kids that's really that's all i am and statistically speaking people of color are not paid the same as white males we're just not you know we can go down the gamut with female and their income, we could, we could just, we could just go down, but we're, you know, generally speaking, black people are not paid the same as white people for equal work. We're just not. It's entrepreneurship is just an avenue for, to take that ceiling away and allows us to be able to create wealth um, that's based on our terms, you know? Um, so it's just, to me, it's just, it's, it's a tool um, and it's a choice. As far as, my experience, you know, I got so many stories, but I did share this. You, you asked, you know, what are we doing differently? Or what are we saying differently to our children? You know, I don't know if I can answer that. I can only answer what I tell my kids and everybody else can decide, do you tell your kids the same thing? Because I don't know. I don't know what you're telling your kids, but I had a text from a friend this just this past weekend. This is a friend that's a, it's a close friend. This is a friend that I vacationed with. This is someone I've known for at least two decades, I believe, or, or close to two decades. And they texted me about how their husband has not been watching the news ever since the COVID-19 stuff hit. He's just kind of taken a step back. He's in the medical field. He just had, you know, took a step back from the media um, just to give himself a break and um, 
has basically been in a house, you know, for the past couple months, you know, because of the pandemic. And they went out to the store together for the first time this past weekend. And when they went to the store, they saw signs. I don't know if they were yard signs or signs at the store. I don't know. But the sign said, I can't breathe. Okay. And he thought that people were saying they couldn't breathe because they were wearing masks. And she thought that was funny. And I had to tell my lovely, my lovely, lovely friend, that's not funny. (laughs) It's not funny for a few reasons, but the one that's, that's sticking out the most to me is that you have had the luxury of not having these conversations in your house to the point that your husband is not aware of what that I can't breathe phrase means. While I'm sitting in my house trying to explain to my kids why this man was lynched on video. That right there (laughs) is an example of, I don't have that luxury. I don't, you know, I've talked with parents not, not sure if they want their children to see the video. And I completely get that from a, from a parent standpoint. I do not want my children to watch those videos. They were traumatic for me. I don't want them to have to process what I saw on the um, Ahmaud Arbery video and on the George uh, Floyd video. I don't want them to ever have to watch that. I hate that I watched it. I'm glad that I watched it because they have been fuel to the fire to you know work that I want to do now. But my children know about it. They know these names. They know that these people are no longer living. And I have to explain this to them and help them process this on a, if not daily, like I talked to my my daughter today about we're going to a protest next week. Our church is um, attending a protest in our local area. And I was like, hey, I'm going to take y'all to this protest next week with me. And my daughter was like, I don't want to go to a protest. So now I got to have a conversation with her on why we're going to the protest, what the protest actually stands for. You know, so now I'm having to educate her. First of all, I'm angry that my children are attending a protest. Let's just, let's just, we have not gotten past protests in 2020. That's already a big deal for me that we're still living in a generation that we're protesting the same freaking thing. All right. Already angry there, but now having to take my child who has a level of privilege, I do really understand that she does, and having to break it down to her and let her understand why it's important and what this what this means for our family, why we're taking a part of it. These are conversations I'm I'm having in my home. So I, you know, I and I'm having many more, but um, you know, I have a black son. He's getting his, oh, oh, oh. he's getting a driving permit this summer. And I'm scared for him. My beautiful, innocent, kind, loving son 
who is so excited about driving. And yes, he's going, I'm going to let him drive. Yes, I'm going to let him get a driver's license. All of the normal things that a 16-year-old, he's turning 15 this summer. So next year, you know, he'll be driving. If he, if he shows any level of maturity, he's going to, I'll let him get behind the wheel. <laughs> but he's very well going to be driving within the next 12 to 18 months, right? On his own, without me in the car. And there's a part of me that is scared for my baby. Um, because we can teach them all we can on how to respond if they're pulled over, when they're pulled over, whatever. But I'm not gonna be there. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna know. I'm not gonna be able to protect them. Um, I do, um, I am a Christian. I do rely on my faith in God. Um, and that's where I put my fear. I take that fear and I lay it at the throne. Um, but as a human, I'm scared. And so um, that, that's kind of answering your question. Um, I'll let Very Lakita, so. okay, I'll let Lakita share any thoughts she has. Yes, Lakita. Um, I, I, a lot of things do stand out there, Deanna. I'm going to let Lakita speak, but um, so it's powerful because I, one thing I did hear you say that, that I want my listeners to hear is that you acknowledged your level of privilege and your kids' level of privilege. And my community, you know, the white community, I mean, often is not willing to do just that. So I, I, so many things to highlight there, but I just, I wanted to say that. Go ahead, Lakita. No, thank you for um, that, Claudia and Deanna. Thank you for sharing um, and just sending like so much love to you. Um, I, um, and, and one of the things that I just keep thinking back to that you said, I had to write it down. Uh, because I'm going to talk about it everywhere, <laughs> um, is that we're surviving in the system while trying to rebuild the system, right? Um, and that that is long-term work, but what you spoke about with your beautiful son and getting his license, right, is about we're teaching children, kiddos, um, how to survive, right? Um, and that that is a a normal part of their childhood and conversation simply because they're black um, or they're brown um, is um, unfortunate. Like, um, and so that is part of the difficulties. I, I also have two sons. Um, our oldest is 22. Uh, he just graduated from college. Uh, and he, he goes to college, he went to college in Georgia. And so one of the conversations that we have, he actually doesn't have a license because he was actually himself fearful to get a license um, for the same reason about being pulled over. Um, and so he, he graduated, um, he has a girlfriend and she lives in Florida. Um, and while he was finishing up school and needed to, to go uh, back and forth um, from his girlfriend's house to the, you know, college they were finishing up online. Um, the amount of conversations and texts that we had to have 
back and forth about being safe, right? You're driving down the back of Georgia through Florida um, and our conversations around, um, you know, not beyond COVID um, were like, don't stop for gas outside of a major city. Go there, take a direct route, get there as fast as you can. When you're moving your stuff out of the apartment, because you're the one who's signing off, signing off with the landlord, you know, be careful. Make sure, like, it, it doesn't appear that you all are sneaking in. You know, make sure um, your girlfriend goes in with you so someone won't call the police. Like, these are normal conversations that shouldn't have to be normal. Um, but it's a... <clears throat> preparation around how do you stay safe and ultimately how do you stay alive uh and that this has been a part of conversations that we've had with him you know since he was young you know um uh maybe 10 years old um around you know making sure that you show up a certain way so that people don't feel concerned, people don't feel threatened, right? Um, one of the things I personally struggled with um, was when he decided to grow his hair out, you know? And like, then how are people going to react? How are people going to perceive you? He's going into the job market now and, and looking for a role and no one should ever have to change, right, their hair um, about what a job is like. Right. But I have had mentors um, in my own career tell me, you know, it, it looks much more professional when you don't have braids. Right. <laughs> um, and just or if my hair is straight, you oh, you look so professional um, and what we think that professional should mean. So when we talk about right, like the systems like we at that point at this point we're talking about survival we're talking about things like job and livelihood we haven't even gotten to the point of the bias uh, and racism that happens um, when we go to have a doctor's appointment right when we're not listened to um, or um, you know our pain is considered you know that you know you don't really have a lot of pain right or I had a doctor um, outside of in New York one time, you know, I was having some chest pain, um, and I heard him through the door say, oh, you know, kind of mocking the words that I said, um, and describing exactly what I said, and they sent me home, said everything was fine, um, and probably about six months later, I got a call, and they were like, oh, you have pneumonia, right? They, they hadn't even really looked at the records uh, at that time. I don't know if it was some other review process that they went through and, and someone finally called me to say pneumonia, but a doctor outside the door, right, Maka. And I know every, you know, everyone can speak about challenges that they have to the, you know, within the medical field and the need for advocacy there. Um, but I think it's well documented that Black people um, have had much higher rates of being ignored, um, of being not considered, of their pain being considered less than. Um, so it is so many um, examples that I think we all can speak to. Um, and then it's about what do we, what do, we do with that, those examples? And Claudia, when we were starting the, the conversation, one thing you said is like, um, you know, how can, like, 
what does engagement, I, I think I got the sense of like, what does engagement look like? And like, how do we stay engaged um, around what we talk about and how we make a real difference? And what I'll say is it means um, commitment, right? And it means taking leadership within your household to say, um, what are other people feeling? Because ultimately this is about um, empathy as well, right? And like, so what are the other things um, that need to be considered? So in our household, we're a Black family, um, but we also um, engage in conversations about the LGBTQ community, uh, about um, different abilities, because we like these conversations need to be a regular part of the conversation so that we can really do the work um, to loosen up bias. I, I think it's some research and numbers out there that, you know, bias and, and kids notice and difference in race and responding to that happens in elementary school. So when we're not talking about it, happening uh, and then um, harm is being done even when we are not speaking up and saying something um, about it. Yeah, really powerful. Look, I really appreciate you being vulnerable to share some of the things that are happening within your family. I think, you know, we can all relate to these, you know, our kids get driver's licenses and, you know, and for many of us, you know, in my community, it's just a fear of driving. You know, we don't, we don't have to think about well, what, it, what are you going to do? keep your hands on 10 and 2 if the cop pulls you over? Like, we aren't having those conversations because it, we don't, I, it doesn't even come to mind. And so just hearing what that looks like in your own life and, and your son deciding not to move forward with getting a, even the choice of getting a license is not even worth. I mean, that's powerful. Um, and you started to talk a little bit about, you know, I, I recently listened to a podcast um, on Ram Das and he spoke about right effort. And so I, that, that term, you know, we talk about like, how do we move forward and what does right effort look like? It's somewhere in between not doing anything and the other extreme of not even knowing what we're doing. We're doing something in a very disorganized, hurtful, whatever way. Um, and where is this right effort in the middle where, where what we, we are doing is helpful, but also genuine to us and you know empathetic to the cause. And so what is this right effort and how do we find it? I know for you, Deanna, you have um, decided to move forward with developing a nonprofit called Needle Movers. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that and sort of this concept of right effort and how people decide what that looks like for them. Yeah, so needle movers, even the name of it just came from a phrase I had been using over and over again, um, moving the needle forward, um, pushing the needle forward in um, creating social equity. And um, I know from the, from my white, the people that are in my community that are white, you know, social media, friends, whatever. The biggest problem I hear is we don't know what to do. We, we, okay, we've gotten to the point that we realize something needs to be done, but whenever we try to do something, they're getting pushback from the black community or they're messing it up or they're offending people. They're not saying the right things, you know, which quite frankly, I think just suck it up as part of your education. Just keep moving forward. You know, <laughs> you know, I, Cause you're going to, you know, I'm going to say things that offend the black community. I, you know, you're not going to get it right. That's not, it's not about 
trying to do the exact right thing, you know, be brave, mess it up, let somebody correct you and keep moving. But um, I also understand feeling like I don't know where to put effort. I don't, because the problem is so ginormous, so deep and wide. There's multiple places to plug in, multiple places to make a difference. And I was overwhelmed. You know, I know I'm living in a world that I want to see different, but I didn't even know well, where, you know, I can donate to this organization here. I can donate there, you know, but I knew I wanted to actually leave a, a thumbprint, a fingerprint on making a difference. And I didn't know where can I actually put intentional, organized intention, effort and focus there and just say, these are the areas I'm going to focus on. I know there's other things to focus on, but I'm going to choose these areas and I'm going to try to create metrics or, you know, let other people tell me what the metrics are. You know, I, I'm so green in this. I don't know. And say, okay, let's move the metric, the metric of, let's just say, you know, increasing the graduation rate um, in the African-American community. Let's move the effort. Let's, um, uh, let's, um, increase or close the gap between the income between um, income and pay you know whatever those things are I don't know but let's come up with some metrics and let's say let's move the needle in these areas and if it takes us 40 years to see a difference <laughs> let's, oh god forbid it takes 40 years to see a difference but you know we're going to focus on moving something forward okay the three areas that are on my heart personally are around education around personal economics and around closing that um, community gap between white and black you know that's those are my those are my areas and so if i can give people mobility options in those areas then they can say they hopefully what is going to happen is i feel like i'm contributing to closing the education gap i feel like i'm contributing to um people of color getting paid for equal work you know i just that's what i'm hoping we'll see what god does but i forgot your question remind me of your question yeah so no you, you you've been talking about it you know the concept of right effort and for people who you know i feel like you have already and and this is probably just because of a lot of surrendering and allowing god to move through you but and talk through you, but what for people who are listening and, um, yeah. you know, whether it doesn't matter the color of their skin, they might be white, they might be black, they might mm -hmm. be in between, but they don't know what to do. Maybe they, you know, are just now starting to say, Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize right. that now I get it, but where do I even begin mm -hmm. with yeah. this? Like, I didn't even realize this. And now where do, what do I even do? Where mm -hmm. do I begin? So, yeah, I, I think right effort looks different. And I think a whole bunch of things are right effort. I think we need a good amount of people working in the criminal justice system. We need a good amount of people working on police reform. We need a good, a lot of people, good, a lot. You like my word? We need a good, a lot of people working on um, sex trafficking um, because people of color are, <laughs> are a very big percentage, at least where I live, a very big percentage of who's getting into these sex trafficking uh, situations. Um, there's, you know, there's so many areas that are systematically impacted by racism that we have to unravel. 
and we need people on all all faces of it doing the work so one of the best things i can recommend for people is is there a particular area that absolutely fires you up is there a particular area that you know this is resonating with me i really you know i really can get behind um impacting sex trafficking and in, 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 in eliminating that then just do that you know if you if you can really you know just pick an area <laughs> and then you know type it in google organizations um social justice platforms whatever you got to do just like you google search anything else you're trying to find google search different organizations read about them understand what they're about and plug in i mean it just really doesn't have to be any more difficult than that you know you don't have to agree with a hundred percent of their platform you don't you're probably not going to find an organization that you read their belief system and you'll be like i don't get with everything they're doing you don't have are they moving in the direction we're trying to get to? As long as we are all, we all have our foot on the pedal and we are, we are moving the thing forward. They are an ally. They are a freaking ally, you know, and I don't care if, you know, in my circles in my Christian circles, they want to know who are the faith-based organizations. Who are, you know what? <laughs> are they making a difference? Are they changing the lives and the experience of people? Are our ultimate goals aligned? For me, that's a collaboration that is a that is an ally and just find. Some, but I do understand finding organizations that resonate with your belief system. I do get that. So just do the work and it's not going to be good enough for you to say, I can't find an organization. You know, just I don't care if you put if you throw in darts at the wall and just say, I'll just whatever, wherever the dart falls, that's where I'm going to support. Just decide I'm going to I'm going to get in movement. And I'm going to find, and you don't have to be like me and start a organization. That's extreme. That's extreme. I get it. Not everybody's going to say, I'm going to start a nonprofit. That's just something I believe I need to do. Okay. But there's enough people already doing the work. Just partner with them in some way. Um, and then teach your children how to do the same thing. Because one day you're not going to be able to do this. You got to teach your children how to keep this moving get your children involved. Um, that's that's kind of what I say. It's like, you're, you don't have to have all the answers. You just need to get in motion. Um, I also encourage you to get in motion past donating money. Um, that I'm not going to say that without um, qualifying it. I do understand maybe that's all some people can do is donate money. That's welcome as well. But if you, if you have the physical capacity to actually put legs to whatever an organization is doing, find one that you can dig in with and, get, and help get the work done. I don't believe that we are in a situation where we can just say, I donate to this organization. I think we all have to comb through our lives and see where can we actually say, I'm going to do some focused work and intentional work in this area. And don't worry, we're going to be, we're going to be um, inundated with different ways to plug in. You know, we're going to be inundated with organizations doing similar work or um, very, very valuable work. We're not going to, you know, I have on my phone so many um, um, web pages open in my Safari 
of places that I'm like, well, I need to donate there. Well, I need to donate there. And it's like, in it, in it, I feel immobilized. Cause I'm like, am I about to donate to all 20 of these places? <laughs> you know? Cause it's like, everybody's work is valuable. And so it's like, I got to figure out, okay, where are my dollars going to focus? Where can I actually, you know, who is aligned with the work that I'm trying to do? You know, that's kind of how I do it. But, um, I don't think we can just throw money at it. I think we actually have to be mobile as well. Those are some of my thoughts. I'm interested to hear what Lakita has to say. <laughs> yeah, no, really helpful. And I think it's it's important that you pointed out too that this is also modeling for our children being leaders in this space and not, um, you know, and I, and I loved the recent video and I shared it, you know, on my, on my Facebook page, the, the video that you did that said, you know, us just teaching our kids and speaking words only is not enough. And we have to realize that. And I think a lot of us have thought that, okay, well, we've, you know, we're check mark. That's a check mark. That's a check mark. We're good. And, um, but, but really modeling this leadership and this movement, um, is, is, is what's going to start to make that difference. So yeah, Lakita, I would love to know your response thoughts on what Deanna just mentioned. Yeah, Deanna, that was beautiful. Absolutely. Um, so my, you know, my thought is across three, three things. Um, but it, it does center on the word you mentioned, Deanna, um, and where you followed up, Claudia. So I want everyone to encourage everyone to approach this from a leadership, right? You're, whether you're, you're a leader in some space, so show up as a leader. Um, and so there's three ways Deanna spoke about investment. She, she actually spoke about all of them, but I'm just going to reemphasize those investment. So donation, making, you know, sharing um, resources, education, because in order to um, show up in a way, whether that's leading your family um, or leading within your organization to help make changes, um, you have to educate yourself. You don't have to wait to be educated, right? Because this is a process uh, and it takes time um, and it takes commitment um, and investment in time. So uh, investment, education, and finally, as the NSA action, Right. At some point, we have to um, get involved. Um, and you and there are so, so many different ways. Think about, you know, a lot of people listening, you may be an entrepreneur. So lead, take action from that space. You might be on a school board, which it, you, you talk about like inequity um, and, uh, and, and like um, opportunities to um, impact racism. School boards is one of the main areas that some of this uh, behavior starts to show up uh, and it has significant impact on kids. Um, you know, if you are in HR, if you're in a leadership position in your organization, uh, if it's your church, just where can you show up as a leader and hit all three of these? So investment, education, and action. You, in, in doing those things, then you can start to make a difference. And of course, all three of those have to happen internally in your home. Um, but I, I, you know, I hear and I accept the message that people are saying, like, tell your friends, talk to your family. Yes. And right. This isn't a, that's the only thing you need to do. Um, you need to, you know, become more involved uh, beyond that. So that would be my recommendation. Um, and then what, what, 
you know, I'm doing is continuing to partner um, with companies around making the changes, like the necessary structural changes that need to be made um, to become an anti-racist organization um, and also to lift up diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, because it's not either or. Um, it's both and uh, that we need to do both. I think I lost your audio for a second, Lakita, but I think we got, oh. uh, there you are, you're back, you're back. But really, really okay, valuable. Yes. And I know that you're, you know, you working with founders and with companies, I, I also know a good amount of business owners who are really struggling. Like, what do I say? What do I do as a leader? And I know, and I know it's also frustrating for others to feel like they have to tell them what to, you know, like, I don't, I shouldn't have to tell you what to do, but then mm -hmm. we're navigating these waters. I don't know how to navigate these waters. I haven't necessarily navigated before. Maybe I should have mm -hmm. navigated them, but I didn't know how, or I did, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't um, as much, yeah. you know, a part of what needed to happen. And so, or I'm a new business owner or whatever it is. Um, what, what is maybe your advice to the business owner who, feels the need to say something, doesn't exactly know what to say, um, is afraid mm -hmm. to say the wrong thing. Um, I think there's just, there's so much noise and there's, and it's, it, it's resulting in so much. I mean, I've literally had discussions with business owners that have broken down crying. Just, I don't know what to do. And I feel like anything I do is going to be wrong. So um, since you are in the space of assisting founders and business owners with with culture and like you mentioned, diversity and inclusion, and, and not that you have to, obviously this isn't gonna be a blanket answer for everybody, but sort of maybe just your advice in, in, that, in that space. Yeah, yeah, I think it's so, it's, it, it might be not be a conventional answer, Claudia. Um, I lost your audio for just a second, but when, as you were starting to talk, one of the things that I was thinking is first of all, you know, don't go in and ask your black employees, right? Or uh, what you need to do, right? And what you need to say um, and to solve for how we fix it, like full stop, don't do that. Um, secondly, again, an unconventional answer, you pay people, right? To help you with marketing, you pay people, so hire somebody, right? Like if you are committed to this work, make an investment, um, and, and, to, and here's the other thing, you need to be committed to this work, because as we can see, you're not going to be in business um, for the long term uh, with the future that we're moving towards if you're not invested in doing this work. Um, so invest, right? Um, and then the, the other thing that I would just say is, you know, lead from a place of honesty. So don't necessarily, so when I say, you know, hire someone, um, invest, it doesn't mean hire and invest to do a PR statement. It means hire, invest for someone to help you to come in and examine the structures within your business and make the necessary changes that you need to make as an organization. Um, and, and so don't go hire someone to help you to write a message, right? Um, spend some, um, you need to respond 100%. And I would say respond from a place of honesty, right? Like I, you know, whatever it is, right? Like acknowledge, and we know this as leaders, and it, and it is very similar here. Acknowledge 
where you failed. Acknowledge where you lacked paying attention. Um, acknowledge where you've made mistakes and then make a commitment. And what is the commitment that you are going to make moving forward? And I will tell you, right, that commitment, if the commitment is I'm going to educate myself, then no, <laughs> that's not going to be enough. And so expect to hear from people, right? Um, but what is the commitment that you are going to make as an owner and a leader um, about how we're going to move forward from here? You don't have to, in that first step, uh, you know, statement, have a 12-point plan, right? You have to say, here's the acknowledgement I make about like how we've been showing up, how I've been showing up here. Um, know that I am going to commit to doing something different, right? Um, and then um, I am going to come back to you in this amount of time with a plan and make sure that that's a short, right? A shorter amount of time um, and be responsive. So it's very similar to the way we need to take action as leaders all the time. Um, but for, a, you know, a lot of complex reasons, people kind of step away from that in this space. Um, and instead, what I'm asking you to do is to step up um, and be, um, you know, honest um, and then commit to, to make a change. Um, is when you can expect to hear from me again, and here's what I anticipate um, our next steps are going to be. So it's just a high level of ownership, um, transparency, honesty. Really helpful, Lakita. I think that you know so many business owners need to hear that because it's like you're a lot of people. I think are sort of paralyzed with just fear of doing the wrong thing. So then we're doing we're either doing nothing. It's this right effort again, right? We're either doing nothing, you know, because I've seen the gamut of like doing nothing versus now going completely crazy with all of these actions that are maybe are not they're not funneled, they're not focused, they don't feel genuine. So then there's this like you know, what is this middle ground, this right effort that, um, that feels right, but that, you know, as you mentioned, it's not just writing the, the PR, it's not just putting out a post that, you know, you know or, or making your screen black, like what are you doing actively? And, you know, we're all navigating really difficult territory. And so I think even just, you know, what you just went through is really valuable to hear. And I, I agree, I feel like we invest so much in different areas of our life and business that this is, one to highlight as, as a, as an important piece to invest in, um, any, at any time, but certainly gets highlighted at, at this time. So really valuable. Deanna, before we, and you might want to, Deanna, you might want to actually, uh, if you want to respond to that, that's perfect too. And then also we talked a little bit before we started recording about some things that, um, you know, maybe the white community is saying that they think is helpful that might be triggering uh, very much like I've had conversations with, you know, the death doula. And we ta I've talked a lot about grief on the podcast and a lot of things that happen and, and are said in a setting of grief that seem that the person is intending to be helpful, but it comes across as the exact opposite. What, um, what might be happening that is triggering and not helpful? Um, and, you know, how do people sort of navigate that that whole piece of then then being afraid to say the wrong thing? Um, is it is it you know something that that you can give advice on based on what has come your way that people have thought have been helpful? Um, or you know, kind of help us navigate that and what is what what is being said that is having the unintended effect? I'm processing. I'm trying to think because I've had so many triggers. I do think triggers are um, relative. I think everybody has 
like something that was said to me on one day may not have bothered me the next day. I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, it's so it's, I don't have a list of wrong things. Oh, I, <laughs> here's what, one of the things that I was tired of was just people saying, I'm so sorry. And they, they were showing their empathy. Yeah, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for your family. Um, even though I think this is part of the process of awakening that I don't think we can bypass, but it's still quite frustrating on my end, you know, in my community, it's like, we're going to pray for you. And, uh, the evangelical church has been very dormant, very dormant in mobility around, um, anti-racism. I mean, just almost non-existent. You know, we may get a a shout out after some major thing that happens in our culture and then it's back to everything else, you know. And so I was I was absolutely frustrated with I'm going to pray for you and pray for you and your son. I know you pray for your son differently than I pray for my son. I was like, I don't want to hear that no more. You know. And for my friends, it was like, you're telling me things that to me are like ground zero. You know, it's like, if I'm your friend and I'm thinking you're going to pray for me regardless, if I'm your friend, these are just things that happen in a relationship, right? You ain't doing nothing special for me when you're praying for me about around my blackness. That's not special. If you're, if it's, if you're feeling something, can you join the fight? Can you get in this with me? Can you, can you put some action behind making this different for me and my son? That's kind of where I was after Aubrey. I was like, I don't want to hear it no more. I don't want to hear you going to pray for me. How about I'm pray for you that you get up off your tail and do something, you know? And so I went on, I went live on Facebook and just was like, I'm so tired of that. I'm so tired of it. And I actually gave them words to say which is where the type, which the name, the name of the, the um, nonprofit came from me telling them, if you're gonna reach out to me, this is what I wanna hear. Deanna, I am committed to moving this needle forward. That's what I said, say that to me, because that indicates action. That indicates mobility. Deanna, this was horrible. I'm letting you know, I am committed to moving this needle forward. And it became a hashtag. It became people tagging me, um, sharing my content, sharing my videos. And that's all they will say. I am committed to moving this needle forward. And that to me ministered to my soul way more than I'm going to pray for you because they were taking ownership of this problem. This is not a black problem. It's an American problem that was brought on by white people. Okay. <laughs> you just would not expect for a victim of a victim of, you know, sex abuse to educate her abuser on how to treat her. You wouldn't expect that, you know, but that's what the white community is expecting of us. Teach us how to treat you. My sister told me just yesterday, she works for a company. Um, She's one of the few black people there. They were having a staff meeting. Hey, would you like to talk to us about BLM? No. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, single, the one black person that's in the room, can you talk to us about BLM? Black Lives Matter is what I'm talking about, BLM. And she's like, no, I don't want to do that. 
And now she's becoming the go-to person of their education. I had somebody in my DMs um, just last week. They're, um, I don't know if they were organizing the protest, just being a part of the protest, but they were like, hey, it's not even somebody I even know. It's not somebody I consider a friend. It's somebody that follows me on Facebook. I don't even know how we know each other. Hey, I'm, I'm making these t-shirts um, you know, for a protest that I'm attending. Um, and I'm, you know, she was printing out slogans on her cricket at home. And she was like, I want to put a slogan on the shirt. You know, she said, can you give me a slogan? I want to put a slogan on the shirt. That's not offensive to the black community, but I really want it to be powerful. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I can't do that for you. And I know I offended her. Cause I told her, no, I said, what is, you know, I redirected her back. You know, what is resonating with you? Is God telling you to put something? I was like, just put whatever's resonating with you on the shirt. If you get it wrong, chalk it up to your education. I don't know. And quite frankly, I can't speak for the entire black community. I I may say something that's offensive to the people that are in the protest. I don't know. I don't have those answers. And it almost like, how dare you put that weight on me to come up with a slogan for your shirt? And the unpaid labor. Oh, let's not, I can't even go there. Oh, yeah. I'm going to let Lakita go there. Yeah, Lakita go there. I was was just going to say, so I'm actually um, appalled by that. Um, But the the unpaid labor, right, is is what this comes to, is that um, can you educate us, right, as an employer? But there is no additional right, pay for that, right? So you're asking me to do something that requires um, extra work, um, extra contribution for me, um, that requires me actually to talk through trauma in a public place, and that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also not okay. The, 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 you know, I know we are all on a journey, but we also have to be, like, be mindful, right? And be and, and take a second and think, right? Be intentional. That, uh, that's why I love um, the example you just gave, Deanna, around we wouldn't ask a victim of abuse to teach an abuser how not to abuse, right? And so if you can make that connection, then others can as well. So that someone would come and ask for that is completely unacceptable. Um, and, and you're asking me to do something again, that's unpaid, right? Like that's unpaid labor to contribute to whatever success it is that you're trying to have. And it's a long history, right, of black folks contributing um, that people then go and make money off of mm-hmm. from black culture to black intellect um, and those avenues not being open to, to black people. So, um, yeah, I just, I just had to, to speak on that. Claudia, can you remind me? Cause I feel like I had something I wanted to say. What was your question? To, to Deanna. To yeah. Deanna. <laughs> so what, what has been said, done, what has come your way that maybe came along with no. good intention, but has been received in, in the unintended negative way? Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and so that Deanna alluded to is black folks are not a monolith, right? So they, we have different thoughts, different experiences, 
um, different approaches and ways of thinking. Um, and so I think, Claudia, you alluded to this a little bit when you said, hey, you know, for some people, me asking how you're doing is okay. For some people, it's triggering and they don't want that. Um, so you might just approach from a space of, um, you know, when you are ready to um, let me know when you have space, how can I help, right? So you can always ask a question um, um, that goes beyond just like how you're, how you're doing. Uh, because uh, right now, and, and, and this again, isn't all black people. I don't know, but the ones I know personally, they aren't doing well. So that the question of like how you're doing is like it's bad. What do you? I mean, you know what I mean. I'm not good. So what do you want me to say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then, you know, it's also an opportunity for us to be honest with our feelings. And so, I would encourage you know any any folks who are listening. And I've done this myself. And people are asking me, yeah, you know, how are you? And I'm like, yo, I'm not good. You know, it, it's it's I'm frustrated. Um, and often uh, we don't express those feelings often it's not safe to um, but if if we feel like it's safe um, then you know we should be able to experience all emotions as black people is what I'm saying and typically that's not the case so if you're asking someone how they're doing be ready to hear like what the actual answer and experience is Um, other than that I would say the only thing even though we're not a monolith but I hear most people saying is please um, just be mindful of like asking people to educate you, right? Take the lead in educating yourself. Um, of course, we are going to have some friends that we can just, we can ask stuff to. And typically, you know who, who those are, right? Like um, who can make space for that conversation. Um, but otherwise, don't, don't DM strangers that are Black folks to say, you know, what can I do, right? Uh, can you tell me more about what Black Lives Matter means? Um, even to those folks who have a platform, just be mindful of that. Um, probably less be mindful. Don't do that, you know? <laughs> just don't do it. Uh, and then uh, I would encourage you not to. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll stop there. I, so powerful. All, all of what, you know, you both have shared really, I think it needs, we just need to have more conversations like this because everybody, I, you know, I think there's just a sense of, of fear of the conversation and fear of what I, now I, it's like, oh, it's almost like now I know, and now I have to do something about it versus, I mean, I was fine just living in my pre COVID, you know, you know, acceptable level of racism world, you know, now I, now there's so much I've got to actually do. It's like overwhelming, but, but as I think you both have so eloquently pointed out, you know, we don't all, right effort is not the same for all of us, but taking some type of action is so doable for all of us. I think across the board, there's not a whole, I mean, it, and it doesn't have to, like Deanna pointed out, it doesn't have to be monetary. And oftentimes that monetary may not even be the right, the right effort for you. And even if, you know, it, conversations like this, whether they're on a platform like a podcast or even just individually, just learning. I think there's just, just so much to, to know that we don't know. And so many of my own friends, you know, have said, Oh, I just, I didn't, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know. And it seems on so many levels, ridiculous for us as a community. How, how did we not know? Like, how do we not know this? But then on so many ways, at least now we, you know, the silver lining is, well, at least now we're beginning to know if we didn't know. It's better now than 50 more years. So 
I just appreciate both of you being willing to be vulnerable, to have conversations that will help so many. Who, whoever is listening, it's helped me. Uh, I think the more that we can do these kind of types of things, the more we can become more educated, more realistically empathic, empathetic to what is actually happening. I think it gets lost in this, you know, macro news world. And to, I would, I prefer much more to dig in with individual people and really hear what is, what is your life? What is happening that I don't understand? And, um, and then I can have those conversations and I can have those conversations with, you know, with my son. And uh, when things come up, I, I'm, I'm much more on in tune and, um, understanding of, of, of these things. So I, I appreciate you both. Like I said, I don't know where I, I don't even know what a world without either of you would be like if I did, if Donna didn't bring us together, how could I not know you two? I mean, just so, so, so grateful that, that God uh, saw it fit that our paths crossed. And I appreciate all the work you're individually doing in, you know, your communities and on, on a much larger scale. So thank you so, so much. Love you both. Thank you, Claudia. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you, Claudia. A huge thank you to Deanna and Lakita for their vulnerability, their graciousness in giving us their time, their insights. I think the more of these conversations we can have, the better we are as a human race. I'll see you all here again next time.